Hey podcast family, this is AJ with Faith for My Generation podcast. This is episode 001, Living in the Perfect Will of God, part one, multi-episode series. We are going to be looking at Romans 12, 1 and 2, where God shows us three keys so that we can live in His good, acceptable, and perfect will. It's where we all want to be, but how do we get there? All right, let's do this. All right, so let's get started. Episode 001. All right, brand new podcast, Faith for My Generation, first episode. This one's entitled Living in the Perfect Will of God. Uh, This is something I've been studying out and something in my personal time of daily Bible reading I came across. And uh, the Lord really laid it on my heart and I began to just study it out and and get to this point where, you know, the will of every Christian and every believer is to live in God's perfect will. I don't know any believer, I don't know any Christian who doesn't want to be in the perfect will of God. So that's obvious. The question I always get, and the question I've asked before is, how do I get there? You know, uh, my wife and I, we've went to Disney World since we've been married. We've been married a little over six years. We've went to Disney World three different times. We love it. We have so much fun. We have a blast when we go. Um, Every time we decided to go there, made plans to go there, uh, packed, got in the car, we left. We always, hey, we're millennials. It's 2019. I mean, from the first time we left, it was 2012 when we uh, got married. We went to Disney World for our honeymoon. But even then, seven years ago almost, um, we pulled up the directions on our phone. Why? Because we knew our desired destination. We knew where we wanted to be. We just needed to know how to get there. You see what I'm saying? I mean, we knew where we wanted to get to. We just needed the directions to take the right roads, the right interstates, the right highways, to make the right turns to get where we desired to be. We knew where we wanted to be. We just needed to know how to get there. And so I think I've come across in the Word of God some keys how we get to the perfect will of God. Uh, In the main text, the main scripture that this entire podcast is going to be on is Romans 12, 1 and 2. You've probably heard this before, uh, but let's read it. You know, if you're driving, hey, just keep the hands 10 and 2. Keep that car in between the white and yellow lanes, okay? You don't need to pull out, whip out your study Bible on top of the dash while you're driving. Let me read it for you, okay? But if by chance you're listening, you know, and you can grab your Bible, grab it with me and just and just read along with me. Romans 12, 1 and 2. First, I'm going to read out the King James Version. It, it's just the version I've always grown up reading. It makes a lot of sense. I think it's really beautiful language, but I also have a couple other versions I'm going to read from as well. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let me read it out of the message version. It's really a paraphrase, but I really like the way they translated this intent here. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. 
Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. That's so good. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Verse 2. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So we see here at the end of verse 2, this is where we want to be. We want our lives to be in that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. But in order to get there, in order, and the King James says prove, that word prove in the Greek is like test. Or, or you know, you're proven, uh, uh, a Olympian is proven once he goes to the Olympics and wins a medal. He has proven himself to be a champion. Um, you know, I work a lot with tools and hand tools. My hammer is proven because I have driven thousands of nails with it. I know it won't fail me. It's proven. It's tested. So in order to get to that place where you can live out, test, prove, witness, um, manifest, have the power of God in you bringing about His good and acceptable perfect will, there's three keys that I see that we need to incorporate in our life in order to have the good, acceptable, and perfect will come to pass in our lives. If we want God's will in our life, there's three things that we have to do in order to meet Him at the place where He can fill our lives with His will. Okay, so, let me say this. I, I wrote this out. Sometimes I write out points, and, and I'll read those. And, and I do that not because it's not inside me and conversational in this. I want to be easy to listen to, obviously. But sometimes I feel like if I can just write out a plain thought, maybe I communicate it a little bit better. So this is the main point of this podcast. The key to living in the will of the Father is having the totality of our life submitted, given up as a sacrifice to Him. In the Old Covenant, priests would bring slain animals to the altar of God in worship and relationship. Now, as believers, we do not come to God with the bodies of slain animals, but with the spiritual sacrifice of yielded lives. Our Heavenly Father recreated our spirit, making us a new creation. But we must sacrifice our bodies and our souls on the altar of submission and yield our minds to His revelatory knowledge that our total lives may be in line with His will. Okay, so this first key that I see is, is in verse 1 of Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is the first key. Now remember, just, this is just some general biblical knowledge, history, that better, helps us better understand the Bible. The book of Romans is written to 
was written first to the church in Rome by Paul. Paul the Apostle wrote this letter, which we call the Book of Romans, to the people in the church of Rome. Now, we need to understand this. As it says in 2 Peter, we believe, I believe, plainly and simply, every word in the Bible is inspired by God. Holy men of old, inspired by the Holy Ghost, wrote down what we have today as the Bible. You know, there's these other books, the Apocrypha books, and these lost New Testament books that people talk about. They have no anointing. You read them, and they are as dead as the phone book. But these books that we have, that have come together as the canon of Scripture, as what we call the Bible, they are the inspired Word of God. So even though we can say Paul wrote this letter originally to the church in Rome, the reality is the Bible is for open instruction for any believer, for every believer. So even though Paul is originally, first he spoke this to the church in Rome, he says it in other epistles. He'll say, you know, hey, take this letter and then pass it around. And then you get the letter from the other church and read it. Why? Because God's teaching is perfect and good for everyone. Okay, in the book of Romans, he goes through a lot of doctrine. Romans 1 and 2 talks about how sin destroys and perverts and causes men and women to do things that are unnatural. It talks about the sins of per sexual perversions and homosexuality and, and how sin confuses and contorts the mind. Romans 3 talks about the righteousness of God, that we have to understand that we've been made righteous because of what Christ has done for us. Romans 4 talks about us uh, having righteousness imputed or put on us through faith. Romans 5 talks about our identity in Christ, how we are uh, crucified, we die, we're buried, and we're resurrected with Christ, and how the symbolism of baptism physically displays that spiritual reality. Romans 6 talks about our power over sin through Christ, that Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us has crushed the power of sin. Romans 7 talks about the man under the law. You know, it's a parenthetical chapter. It's like parentheses. Romans 6 talks about how in Christ we have dominion over sin. And Romans 8 talks about the power and the love of God. And Romans 7 is this parenthetical statement. It's a parenthesis saying, you know what? Before I came to Christ, I did the very things I hated to do. It talks about the power of sin and how the law exposed what sin was. Romans 9 and 10 talk about God, uh, Paul's heart for Israel. And that's a really good display of how we should have a heart for those people around us that don't know Christ. Romans 11 talks about gifts and callings of God that he manifests in the body of Christ. And then it gets to Romans 12. And here's the thing, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it is a transition point. These two verses is, is like a turn in the road. And what I mean is, it's like a stop sign. I shouldn't say a turn, but like, here you are, you're driving through the doctrines. You're driving through these biblical understandings of righteousness, of what sin does, of faith, of, of, of our identity in Christ, of, of dominion over sin in Christ Jesus, over desiring to see people saved. And then you come to the stop sign, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now look, Paul's saying, I beseech you, brethren. In other words, I beg of you. I'm pleading with you, brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he uses this word, by the mercies of God. 
basically what he's saying here, he, the Amplified Version says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you, in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. He, we come to the stop sign and say, look, in light of everything we just talked about, in light of the reality of Christ in us, our being made free of, from sin and having dominion from over sin to walk righteous in God, being, be, becoming the righteousness of God, living by faith, identifying with Christ. In light of all this, all these spiritual realities, I'm going to plead with you to do, do something. I want you to take your body, your flesh, and offered unto God as a living sacrifice. I want you to take your body and yield and submit and give your body as a sacrifice to God. Just like in the Old Testament, the people of Israel would bring a lamb, a goat, a bull, a turtle dove, bring it to the priest, and offered up as an offering. Just as that animal was completely and totally consumed by God for the glory of God so that God could do as what he said he would do concerning sacrifices, if it's a sin offering. You know, there were many different offerings in the Old Testament, not just the sin offering. But if it was the sin offering, he would overlook, he would cleanse or atone of sins for a period of time. You know, trespass offering, Lord, I've done something, forgive me of this. Uh, they had peace offerings, which literally was an offering where, you know, you would take a portion of an animal and you would sacrifice a portion of that lamb or that bull or that um, goat. And a portion of it you would sacrifice to God and the other portion you would sit down and eat it with your family. A peace offering, that's a peace offering. Talks about that in Levitic Leviticus 6. And what's so cool about that is when you think about it, peace offering is our current it was, was symbolic of our current relationship with God. As we give ourselves as an offering, we have relationship with Him. These peace offerings in the Old Testament, you didn't give the whole, whole animal to God. You gave a portion of it, and you kept a portion for yourself. And as one portion burned on the altar to God, you ate the other portion, showing your relationship with God. And that's so, that's so awesome, really. And, and so I just want... I, the point of this podcast is not to get into all the offerings of the Old Testament, but we need to kind of understand generally on a foundational level that offerings have always been and will always be part of God's system, God's system of approaching Him. I know that sounds a little technical, and I... I, I, I don't know a, be, a better word necessarily... God's plan, God's plan for you and I to enter into his presence. That sounds more human, doesn't it? It sounds more relational, and it is. God's plan for you and I to enter into his presence requires offering. The offering that Paul's saying here that God requires now 
is an offering not of a slain animal, but of your living flesh. See, God wants to save you so he can fill you and move through you. I have this, a living sacrifice. The Holy Spirit through Paul is telling us that in light of the wonderful, marvelous salvation that God has given to us, it is our just, it's our righteous, it is totally normal. It would be abnormal for us not to give over our flesh to God in light of all that he's done for us. And it's our logical response to give God our lives, bodies, as a living, submitted sacrifice. Finest Dake, the author of the Dake Annotated Reference Bible, you can check that out at datebible.com. It's a wonderful Pentecostal study Bible. It says, he, he wrote this, People are now to bring themselves to God instead of sacrifices to the altar as of old. They are now to be holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, completely, the Lord's, as were the former sacrifices, those animal sacrifices. You know, when you slay an animal and put it on the altar, that animal has no ability to not be offered up. I mean, if you bring, imagine this in the Old Testament, and if you don't like this, if you're an animal lover, or you get queasy thinking about blood, you're not going to like this example. But it's good for us to understand that, you know, in the Old Testament, if you brought forth a lamb or a goat or a bull or turtle doves, depending on where you were in your socioeconomic status in life, you know, God made provision for everyone regardless of whether they were wealthy or poor or whatever condition or state they were in at that time. It, but if you bring an animal to God before him as a sacrifice at the altar place, you know, you slay that animal or the priest would slay the animal. At the point that he has slain the animal, the animal is dead. The animal cannot physically get up off that altar. Now think about that. The animal was slain and didn't have a choice. You and I have a choice. But in our choosing to give our flesh over to God, to live unto him wholly, that is much more desirable and valuable to God. No one's making us give our bodies to God. No one is making us keep our flesh pure before Him in what we actively do, except ourselves. And the, that is the reality of being a what, what theologians would say a free moral agent. Basically what that means is, as human beings, we have choice. God has given us the greatest power in being human in the fact that we can choose what to do. And when you and I make the choice, Lord, I'm going to honor you in what I physically do and not surrender my hands, my feet, my eyes, my mouth, my ears to sin, but I'm going to give you my body so that you can dwell in me, that I can do works that are holy unto you, spiritual sacrifices with my flesh, whether it's, you know, singing worship, praise, whether it's praying, interceding, whether it's giving tithes and offerings, whether it's fast prayer with fasting, whether it's uh, loving on people, whether it's stopping on the side of the road to help somebody. You know, I mean, so many times I see people on the side of the road, and I'm a, hey, you can't see me, but I'm, I'm sure you can tell just by my voice. I'm, I'm a pretty swole, athletic dude. No, no, but all joking aside, if I'm driving down the side of the road, I'm not mechanically inclined. I, I said driving down the side of the road. I'm a better driver that, than that. When I'm driving down the road, rather, I should say, and I see someone on the side of the road, I'm not mechanically inclined to help them. 
I'm not good with cars. If a car was built out of wood, I could build one from the floor up, and it would be awesome. I'm good at working with wood. It just comes natural. Metal, mechanics, things... I'm just not good automotively. I, I, I mean, I can do the basic things. I can change oil. I can change spark plugs, change a battery, rotate tires. Apart from that, if you're broke on the side of the road, I can't do anything for you other than hop out of my car and help you push it to the side of the road. And let, let me tell you something. I, anytime I can do that, I like to feel useful. So if I can, you know, if I see someone on the side of the road, I'll stop and help them push them off the side of the road or help them change a tire. That's spiritual service. Now, that's not the end result of spiritual service, but that is spiritual service because I'm doing unto others as I would have them do unto me, Matthew 7, 12. It's the law of love. It's that golden rule. When I see someone in need, I have compassion for their need and try to assist in any way that I can. And let me tell you something. When you do that, you begin to create a connection with people that allows you to minister to them. Okay, now, uh, I with this, I want us to see this. Exodus 20, 24 and 25 says this. This is God. He has given the Ten Commandments to Moses and to Israel. And now God's instructing them on an altar. And we need to have a little bit of an understanding of the Old Testament altar so that we can fully comprehend what Paul's saying here about being a living sacrifice. Remember, the first key to living in the perfect will of God is to be a living sacrifice to God. So every sacrifice needs an altar. Okay. Exodus 20, verse 24. An altar of dirt you'll make to me. And you'll sacrifice there on that altar of dirt, burnt offerings, peace offerings, sheep, your oxen. And in all places where I record my name, I will come unto you and I will bless you. And, it, and if you will make me an altar of stone, you will not make it of cut stone. Don't build an altar of stone that you have cut, is what God's saying. Don't take stone and carve things on it and shape them with chisels and hammers. Just take the stones out of the ground and mound them up. And he says this, For if you will lift your tool upon it, you have polluted it. In other words, you've not sanctified it unto me. You've, not, you've made it to where it's no longer holy to me. Now there's a couple things about this we need to understand. God's telling us about this altar in, in the book of Exodus. He is teaching his people how to approach him in worship. And he's saying you're going to bring sacrifices and you have to sacrifice these sacrifices on an altar. When you build the altar, build it out of stones that you've not cut or chiseled away at. Just go and gather the stones, build up an altar, and there you sacrifice the altar. Sacrifice the, the, the animal, rather, the slain animal. Now, what I want you to see this. God is saying, look, when you sacrifice your sacrifice, it's your sacrifice, but the altar you're going to do it upon has to be an altar that you did not create in the sense of chisel away at these stones. Just simply gather up the stones and make an altar. That reminds me of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For if by grace are you saved through faith, and, not, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
See, this altar is a symbol of salvation. We just simply take what God has given us. Stones. I mean, these stones, they're gathering, guys. They've got, they're gathering sometimes out of rivers, out of fields. They're gathering these stones up. They're not taking the stones and adding something to them in the sense of chiseling away, putting decorations on them, scribing things on them. They're just stacking up these stones. The, your body, God wants your body as a living sacrifice. And you bring your body as a sacrifice, but you put it upon the altar of salvation. Wow, you got to see that. You bring your body and put it on the altar of salvation. The whole reason we can give our flesh to God, holy and acceptable unto God, as it says in verse 1, our reasonable service, is because through salvation we've been made righteous. We've been cleansed of our sins. We're made a new creation in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Old things have passed away. Behold, all has become new. And because of that power of God making us brand new creations in Christ, we now can take our bodies and lay them wholly unto God on the altar of salvation. See, 1 Peter 2 and 5 says this, You are living stones, and you build up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, Peter, he's using building examples. He's using examples of houses, and he's calling, in, in the verse before it, he says Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone is the stone you would set down first and build the house around it and build the house upon it. And then he says, just like Jesus is the cornerstone, you are like unto Christ. You're not cornerstones, but you are living stones like Christ is. He's the headstone. He's the cornerstone. But you are stones as well, and you are living stones as he, are, as he is. And you build up the house of God where you can give spiritual sacrifice. Well, what is that? That's 1 Corinthians 6.20. Or, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, uh, chapter 6, verse 19. Let me read that for you. I didn't have that written down, but that just came to my mind. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's. So think about that. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 2.5 is telling us we are stones and together we build up this house, the body of Christ. We build up this house to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And the same theme in all this that we've just covered is this. Once we are saved, once we are made children of God, we now have something to do. See, it's not, it is not by our work we can save ourselves. No one could do the work of Christ, which was to live a sinless life, yet be offered up on the cross, having sin put on him, that he may become the eternal, perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God slain for the world. None of us could do that. But that does not take away from the fact that once we are saved, we are required to do spiritual works. Now, see, there's this idea in the land, and, and unfortunately in the nation I live in, in America, 
there is this hyper grace teaching and it's a false doctrine, this idea that no matter what you do, it doesn't matter because Christ has saved you and that's it. That once you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, from that point forward, it doesn't matter. Who cares? It doesn't matter what you... Now, they won't say it that way. They'll be very uh, politically correct about it. They'll be very religious about it. But when it comes right down to it, they are creating a doctrine that is basically this. Once you're saved, you can do anything you want, and it don't matter. You're still going to heaven. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches in Revelation twenty two twelve that Jesus Christ is coming quickly and he will bring a reward he will reward people based on what they do. John fifteen tells us, Jesus says it several times, if you love me, keep my commandments. First John says that as well. There is no sin in him that has Christ in him, that has the light of God in him. There's no darkness. Darkness and light have no fellowship together. So the reality is this, once we are saved, we're saved so God can fill us and move and flow through us. We have to become testimonies of God's power on the earth. And the way we do that is we offer up our bodies. When I say body, I mean literally your flesh. You offer it up to God to do the work of the Lord. Now, depending on who you are, you have a call of, everyone has a call of God. Depending on who you are, your calling is different. But regardless, if you are a Christian, a son or daughter of God, God has called you to do something in the kingdom of God. You have a responsibility. You are a member of the body of Christ. I don't know if you're an eye, an arm, a foot, a leg, a heart, an organ. I don't know. But you are part of the body of Christ and you have a function. In you fulfilling your call in this life is your spiritual sacrifice. And the only way you can do that is if your body's fully submitted to God. See, Mark 12, 34 through 36, it says this. This scribe, he asked Jesus in the previous verses, he asked Jesus, Jesus, what's the greatest law? And Jesus says, well, the greatest law is to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. And the second law is much like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this scribe, it doesn't say who he is. I personally think it was Nicodemus. I don't know. I just think it's Nicodemus because Nicodemus came to Jesus and he ends up getting saved. But this is the one time that I can remember where a scribe was actually complimented by Jesus. Generally, Jesus <laughs> was talking pretty roughly to the scribes and the Pharisees. You know, nothing, no big deal. Just called them whitewashed tombs full of bones. You know, nothing really that offensive. Just called them dogs or serpents or a, a broad of vipers. You know, you bunch of snakes. You know, I mean, you, <laughs> you don't talk to your friends like that. Hey, guys, yeah, what's going on? Yeah, come on in the house, you old whitewashed tomb of dead bones, y'all. You know, you but anyway, so Jesus compliments this scribe. But I want you to notice what the scribe says to Jesus. After Jesus tells him, the greatest law is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. And the second's like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is what the scribe said. Well, master, you have said the truth. For there's one God, and there's none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself, is more than all the burnt 
offerings and sacrifices. The scribe's saying, look, to love God with everything you are and to love your neighbor as yourself, every person you encounter, love them as you would love yourself, this is greater than all the burnt sacrifices and offerings in the Old Testament combined. And this is what Jesus says in verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And at that point, no man asked Jesus any more questions. I hope you get that. Jesus said, look, scribe, whoever he is, whatever his name was, look, I want you to know you're not far from the kingdom of God because you're getting it. You're seeing it. You're beginning to see it. You're realizing what I'm teaching here. The sacrifices that God instituted in the Old Testament were righteous and holy because they represented what was to come, but also what was at that point in time. See, in the Old Testament, the only way you could approach God in worship was through the altar, through this, through sacrifice. Oh, you could approach Him in prayer, sure. But I should say one of the ways you approach God in worship was through altar and the sacrifice. And it's still that way today. The only thing that's changed is the sacrifice. And the sacrifice is you and I. See, Romans 6, 8, 19 says, Being made then, excuse me, being then made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. In other words, I'm communicating to you based on flesh, on fleshly examples, on worldly examples, because that's what makes sense to you. It says, For as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanliness, no, notice it says, for as, past tense, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Paul's saying, look, at one point in time, your flesh did evil things. And when it was doing evil things, it was a servant to sin. But now that you're saved, yield your body to righteous work unto holiness, and now you become a servant of righteousness. See, once we enter into the salvation of God through Christ, we now dominate sin through the power of the Holy Ghost, who is working effectually in us by the Word of God and His righteousness. And at that point, our bodies, our lives, become servants, and really that word is slaves, to holiness. And here's the thing, we become a weapon of righteousness in the hand of God. When you are willing to do what God has called you to do and live holy to God, to speak His Word, to look on pure things, to listen to good things, to love your spouse, to love your children, love your family, to witness, to tithe, to give offering, to pray, to intercede, to read your Bible. When you are doing all those things, you become a weapon of righteousness. You become something God can wield and use for His glory. See, Romans 6.13 says, Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. This is Romans 6.13. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. The first key to living in the perfect will of God 
is to give our bodies wholly to God. To do the works of righteousness. To live by faith. To worship and praise God. To sing songs to Him. To to live our personal conduct according to the Word of God. To read and study our Bible. So many things that people belittle is huge in the eyes of God. Every day when you take time, and I encourage you, if you're not, if you don't have a daily Bible reading plan, you need to get one. Because every single day that you are reading your Bible, every chapter you read, it is a acknowledgement to God. I'm yielding my mind and my body. I'm giving you some time of my day to read your word so that I can better love you. Better serve you, Father. I want to know you more. I want to know you better. I want to know you and be closer with you. So I'm going to take this hour and just read my Bible. God doesn't overlook that. And people make that, it gets me so upset. People act like reading your Bible is not a great spiritual service. It is. Now look, it's a logical and 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 frankly, if you're a Christian and you don't read your Bible, you need to ask yourself, what do you really believe? What are, I mean, what are you basing your faith on? The only way you can know God is through His Word because even when He speaks by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks and reveals to you the Word of God. You know, it is important that you pray every day. And look, you should work up. some. Look, maybe you've never heard this before. I hope you don't realize, you know, some people will say, well, that's being legalistic. This is not legalistic. You should plainly and simply, I want to encourage you. If you're not praying at all, you need to say, you know what? I'm going to start praying 15 minutes a day. I'm going to have a 15-minute block, and I'm going to pray to God and pray and be in His presence for 15 minutes. I'm going to put the cell phone on airplane mode, I'm, you know, I'm going to find a room in the house where the kids or the spouse or whatever, you know, that I'm not trying to be critical to anyone, but I'm going to get to a place where I won't be interrupted. Maybe that means you have to get up earlier. Maybe that means you have to wait up later at night before you go to bed. I don't know. For me personally, I have to get up earlier. But let me tell you something. You need to get to a point where if you're not praying at all, you need to start praying. Look, shoot for 15 minutes a day. It's going to feel like a long time. If you if you don't pray at all, 15 minutes is going to feel like forever. But you need to get to a point where you begin to build up in your life. And honestly, I believe so many times in the Bible, you know, well, Jesus, he said two or three specific times when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was taken to the cross, well, really to Pilate and then to the cross and crucifixion. He He said, could you not pray with me? You know, could you not tarry and just watch for an hour? Now, I know some people will say, well, that's being legalistic. Did God really mean an hour? Well, I mean, he said it two times. He said it several times. And let me tell you something. uh, Since 2015, I've made it a point to pray to God uh, a minimum of an hour a day. Now, did every single day did I hit that hour? No, there were a few days I didn't. But for the most part, I did. And the lots of times it took a lot of work and it took planning and it took me sleeping less or doing something else, not doing something else. But the reality is that I wouldn't trade a hundred hours for one hour of prayer. Because here's the reality. God sees that dedication 
And that is a platform for him to empower me or anyone who approaches him. When See, I, you and I can't work these wonderful, powerful miracles we desire to see in our lives. We don't make the power and word of God come to pass in our life. That is God's responsibility. We simply have to meet him as we fulfill our responsibility, which is seek him. You know, Hebrews eleven six says, But without faith it's impossible to please God, for you must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Do you believe that God will reward you when he diligently diligently when you diligently seek him? You have to get to the point that you actually believe, I know that when I commit myself to prayer, when I read my Bible, when I give tithe and offering, when I sacrifice time by volunteering at my church, when I go out and witness to my coworkers, I know this, that as I work the works of righteousness... I'm submitting my body as a living sacrifice and that's a point of contact. That is a platform for God to work His part of the covenant. That the blessings and the miracle power and people getting saved and people getting healed and my life growing in the Lord, those things take place. Let me pray for you as we close. Father God, I thank you for each and every Christian and believer that's listening to this podcast, Father. I pray that you would teach us your word more and more that we may understand you and your heart better by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is our desire to live our lives totally submitted to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's key one to living in the perfect will of God, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. This is a multi-episode series, so make sure to come back next Tuesday to listen to part two and join me as we continue our study on Romans 12, 1 and 2 and answering the question, how to live in the perfect will of God. (music) 